Hello and welcome to the Ottoman History Podcast. We're joined today by Dr. Stefano Talia, a research fellow of the Oriental Institute of the Czech Academy of Sciences. He's the current assistant editor for the Middle East of the journal Archiv Orientalni. Having completed his PhD at SOAS, he has published on Ottomanism in the Hamidian era from the point of view of political opponents of the regime. He published a book with Routledge, Intellectuals and Reform in the Ottoman Empire in 2015, and has edited a thematic issue on Ottomanism and Neo-Ottomanism with Dewelt des Islams, and his current research is on the consumption of cannabis in the late Ottoman Empire, and in particular, Istanbul. Stefano, first of all, thank you very much for agreeing to record a podcast with us. Thank you very much for having me, Thailand. The first question has to be your research on uh, cannabis in the late Ottoman Empire or the consumption of cannabis in the late Ottoman Empire is a little bit of a switch from uh, your previous research on Ottomanism. Why the shift of your or, or focus of interest? I worked for um, quite a long time on, uh, on political exiles and intellectuals abroad who were trying to change the nature of the um, of the rule of Sultan Abdul Hamid II. You know, the history of that period and, and, and of those people is rich. Um, there's a lot of sources. Um, there's a lot, of, a lot to be discussed. I kind of gathered that it's a, it, their life was very disconnected from the everyday life of people. So we read what they thought about big issues, uh, the reform of the empire, um, religion as a whole, but we don't really understand from their writing what was happening on the ground. So I wanted to get into more of a social history. And I found a pretty huge gap in um, in the history of, um, of cannabis. While we have a large literature on opium, for example, or other, um, other drugs or other aspects that could or were considered, uh, considered vices. But you see also the, the research on, on the use and, um, and the consumers uh, of cannabis informs other areas of Ottoman history. So we're not just looking at who smoked, why, where, and how much, because that could be interesting, but up to a certain point. While cannabis users, their life is informative from the broader aspect of social history, but it, it, it also presents a nice parallel or contrast to the life of intellectuals in the same period. So the topic is uh, clearly of interest for us if we're looking at this uh, modern period in the Ottoman Empire, if we're looking at the state intervention in uh, social life, in day-to-day life. Before we, we, we delve into these uh, broad topics, what has been done so far? You mentioned that uh, there's a lot of research or, or research has been done in terms of uh, the use of opium and opiates. Has there been much written about in terms of the use of cannabis particularly? Not really. Um, I mean, let me give you a kind of a broader um, view of sources. So that there is quite an important amount of primary sources, uh, but there isn't a, um, a sufficient amount of secondary, secondary sources. So not many people have written on it. Um, there is stuff written for previous centuries, so uh, not really for the 19th. There's stuff uh, for the medieval part uh, of Islamic society in general. And there's also a lot being written about other topics that are, I think, tightly connected to um, the consumption of, uh, of cannabis. So there's a lot that has been written on um, the consumption of alcohol and on uh, prostitution, but not just prostitutes, but also um, 
the clients. And I think these three together, they give us a nice kind of, they, they complement each other in understanding how the state reacts to this, um, to, to vices or, or groups that could be seen as harmful for a productive, modern productive society. In terms of prostitution, we can look at the work done by Malte Furman, but also um, by the very interesting work done by Cecil Ilmas on uh, prostitution and syphilis. Um, from the alcohol point of view, um, there is obviously stuff, interesting stuff being done by Francois Georgeon, but there's also uh, very um, interesting stuff done by uh, Daniel um, MacArthur Seal. So who are the consumers of uh, cannabis and, and cannabis products? And you're looking at the late Ottoman Empire, and I think you're looking specifically or, or more specifically at Istanbul and the use of um, these drugs in Istanbul. Who are these people? Are, these unde are they undesirables? Are they the lower classes? How are they perceived? Um, are they uh, potentially people at the margins of uh, Ottoman society? Well, that's what's very interesting about um, about um, cannabis consumers. Um, you know, first of all, these people are not uh, really at the margin of society. They could be at the margin of society, but um, not because of their addiction to cannabis, but because of their social standing or because of their um, uh, other addictions they might have. Um, but they're not at the margins per for for being. Um, consumers of cannabis. Th these people are, we, we can call them Esrar Keshler. You can find consumers across the social divide, the financial divide, the, the religious divide, the ethnic divide. So in a way, um, we, we can even say that the consumption of cannabis was a um, increased sociability in, in, the late, uh, in the late Ottoman Empire. So we've called them Esrar Keshlash. Um, what's the terminology that's used? Uh, what, what, what are the different ways of describing cannabis and cannabis users in this period? And I suppose, broadly speaking, uh, what does cannabis consumption look like in the late Ottoman Empire? The way that they're usually referred to is um, Esrar Keshler. Um, the substance itself has was given many names. He had many, many nicknames in the 19th century. Some of them are kind of similar to what would um, would be used today, as, for example, powder, uh, pleasure, cave, or, or there, there are some um, funny ones like the, um, the Sarukas, um, the blonde girl, or Hindi Baba. Some some names are something like paspal, which is a type of coarse flour, which is a bit weird because it would remind people more of other substances rather than um, than hashish and, and marijuana. The way that the cannabis um, setting looked like, it's probably very much the way it looks today. A bunch of people who seems to me wanted to get high for different reasons, either because it was a pleasurable moment uh, or evening or because they um, tried to escape kind of the harshness of reality. They would meet in uh, specific cafes. They are um, usually referred to as uh, Esrarhane or Hashishane. And um, there they would, um, let's say there were mainly three ways of consuming uh, cannabis. One was to... Um, Drop a pill seems to be more of a, an older, so f something from the previous century rather than the 19th century. 
so cannabis was sometimes added to opium and some uh, spices like saffron and pressed into a pill. Or it was um, smoked um, more frequently uh, the way that it's smoked today. So either in the form of a joint or um, uh, with, uh, with, uh, with the use of a bong. And we have some nice um, description of, of this. So we see how the joint was actually made. Two papers, for example, were, were uh, stuck together with a bit of spit. Um, some tobacco was uh, put on, on the papers and then uh, uh, hashish or uh, marijuana was um, kind of put on top of this in very small um, pieces like um, a, a, a grain of rice. Um, or a bong would be uh, would be made, and um, this was usually referred as a kabak or a pumpkin, but it had nothing to do with a pumpkin. It was actually um, taken from a coconut. The coconut was emptied from the pulp and the and the water. A um, a top part was cut off, and a spout and a little um, tray was put in that hole, and this is where the substance would be. Uh, would be um, layered. Then on the two sides, two holes would be drilled, one for uh, inhaling and one for stopping the, the the air or letting the air through when where you were when you're inhaling. In terms of who they were, as I was saying before, the the consumers could be found across the many divides. Um, well, when when these people met in the Esrarhane, there would be a very kind of rigid way or, or um, kind of ritual for smoking. So the um, sahib or the owner, the, the, the person who would buy, pay for a half or three quarters of the, um, of the bong would be the first to smoke. And then other people who've chipped in uh, would smoke and then the others in, in a kind of order of descending age. I found mention of a famous individual, um, Neysen Tefik, who had uh, his own kind of spot, personal spot, has a, at an hangout. And rumor has it, or kind of um, the sources, some of the sources claim that um, up to the First World War, he had consumed an incredible amount of, um, of cannabis, something like seven tons of cannabis, which, you know, obviously there's a, there's an, an exaggeration there, but that gives us an idea that this guy was very much uh, an habitué and a lover of, of smoking. Stefano, can you tell us a little bit about these Esarhanes? Uh, where were they? Uh, what did they look like? Who ran them and who frequented them? Um, I mean, until now, I've managed to map um, something like uh, almost 20 of them in Istanbul, um, pretty much scattered around. So we can't say that there was a specific area um, that this is where kind of cannabis was consumed. I mean, the first um, impulse that people usually have is to say, well, it must have been in the European side or in uh, Pera. Or, but, but instead, we see that, for example, some of them um, are south of the Golden Horn, some of them are north of it, and some are even on the Asian side, and especially in Uskudar and Kadiköy. Um, so it, it's really something that was very widespread. Some other sources, like uh, Ekrem Kochu's Istanbul Encyclopedia, um, states that some of these um, Esarhane were even hidden in the old walls of the city.
and we even find the names of some of the owners of um, of these venues, and they seem to be um, scattered around uh, the religious divide as well. I mean, we have people with um, you know people like Ali Bey or um, Alaeddin. Uh, but we also have a Dayani, so definitely uh, a Greek. Um, and we also have the name of a Madame Katina, so even a, a woman who owned one of this uh, hangout. In terms, in terms of the um, consumers, these are, are, are scattered uh, all around. We, uh, we have, uh, I found a list in um, Asan Bakhti, uh, Ezra Keshler of a, a number of people who were known users to him and we see that the list contains people from different religious backgrounds like Mevlevi or Bektashi um, um, a Jew um, as well as people from all different um, geographical backgrounds so a Belgian guy George, uh, a John uh, from England um, there's a Russian, a Maltese, an Italian even, uh, as well as a lot of Ottomans from uh, different areas of the empire. So how would the state react to these Ehlikeif, uh, this Esar Keshlar, or to Esar uh, Haneler? Do we have any examples of uh, the reaction or the enforcement of law from uh, the Ottoman state? What would happen to a person um if the person was to be stopped and searched, that varied according to period and according to, I think, the mood of the person who stopped him. Um, first of all, my so my research kind of focuses on the Hamidian era, so 1870s to the first years of the 1900. But the sources go uh, start earlier than that. So the ones that I've picked um, starts from the 18, uh, late 1830s. And they um, and they stop at about um, the outbreak of World War One. Um, usually, these people were um, jailed for a little bit. Uh, sometimes they were just their their staff would be just taken away from them, either thrown away or burned. Um, but penalties don't don't seem to have been very very severe. So I, I think it's interesting to look at how the state um, responded not only to users but to cannabis as a whole. Uh, and I think in this sense, we have to look at three different um, parts, the farming of it, the smuggling of it and the smoking of it. So in terms of the farming, um, you can, uh, I mean, it's pretty clear that there wasn't a um, coherent uh, policy on the part of the state, things seem to change according to decades. Um, the, the Ottoman um, archive is, is ripe with um, sources that speak of tithes, tithes dedicated to cannabis farming. Um, and depending on the period, the authorities changed their, their attitude. In the late 1830s, opium and uh, hashish were both cultivated and um, some of the places that were cult where cannabis was cultivated belonged to, um, belonged to the state, so it produced revenue for the state. In 1876, um, the central administration, we know that it notified the provinces that cultivation was outlawed. So there we see already a switch. Then 10 years later, prohibition to farm was lifted, but only for wholesale merchants, while um, the small retailers 
where uh, where punished is if found kind of growing or smuggling um, in kind of in smaller amounts. We definitely know that cannabis must have been a valuable source of revenue for the state um, because at some point in the early 1900, there was a talk of shifting the revenues from cannabis farming from um, from the military to the public debt administration. And people were really worried that this would take away important revenues for uh, for the state. So in terms of the state reaction to those consuming cannabis, what happened to those who, who smoked, uh, who consumed uh, the drugs? Uh, and, and what happened to those who were caught smuggling these illicit substances? For the farming, this kind of oscillated in time. Sometimes these people would be caught and sent to prison for five months, for example, which, which is the instance, one of the instances I, I found um, on... Um, on islands, in this case, on the island of Midili. Um, some of the time, they were just confisc- their stuff confiscated, and and they were just free to walk. It was you can see from the sources that the police, how however hard they tried to eradicate the smoking, it never really managed to do so. So the idea that I um, that I got is that these places, as Rahane, just kept popping up. One would close down, uh, the police would close it down, they would just pay a little fine and then be able to reopen immediately afterwards, promising that they would not smuggle or allow smoking in their um, in their cafe anymore. And they would be able to open either in a new place or exactly in the same venue. Now, the smugglers were um, treated... Um, somewhat similar. So sometimes they would be uh, jailed. Uh, definitely, usually their their, um, their stuff was confiscated. Mm, smugglers were usually caught on boats, driven by uh, Greek smugglers. And um, cannabis was smuggled with uh, weapons, ammunition and explosive, but also hidden, for example, under linen or walnuts or grapes. And and you can read some funny stories of how the smuggler reacts, pretending that he didn't know the existence of of the substance in his in his own vessel. There's um, uh, an interesting story um, I found a, an individual being mentioned in in a few sources, and it's the story of a of a smuggler who gets caught with uh, a lot of a lot of cannabis. He gets caught with about twenty five kilos of seeds and about seven to six to seven kilos of um of cannabis now obviously the substance gets all taken away from him um he is put on trial but and the trial takes one long year but then he gets he walks basically so he he's not even punished for for a pretty large amount and we also know that uh, a, an amount such as six to seven kilos of uh, cannabis could return quite a lot of money uh, something like 10 liters of the uh, of the time. So you mentioned that uh, the consumers of cannabis in uh, late Ottoman Istanbul vary in terms of background, in terms of class, if you like, in terms of their religion. Thinking about the Ehli Kif, the, the people of pleasure, and the time of modernism and the time of uh, when you're looking at the, the intervention of the Ottoman state into, into this, this strata of society, what do their experiences uh, 
vis-à-vis the the Ottoman states tell us about uh, this 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 crucial time of of uh, modernism in the Ottoman Empire? You can't really have a typology of the cannabis smoker. Um, as I said before, they can be found everywhere. So it, it's really difficult to say, you know, this was a cannabis cannabis addict. What does uh, Nisrar Kesh look like? It, it, it looks like many, many things. It looks like the, you know, the riffraff. It looks like the homeless. But it looks like, for example, the doctor from, um, uh, from the Ottoman civil officialdom. We have a source from 1893 that tells us the... Um, pains of a doctor um, by the name of Fakhreddin Effendi, who was forcibly retired um, because he was found smoking. Um, So then he had to write a plea back to the Ottoman um, bureaucracy, um, saying that he will, um, he promised to give up his his smoking habit, um, but he would, uh, um, he, he would, he would like to be reinstated. And actually, he was indeed reinstated. So that also gives us an idea that the state was pretty lenient on on, uh, at least some of the consumers. Stefan, can you tell us a little bit about what the sources you are using are? Are they mostly primary sources? Are they accounts? Are they state archival resources? Do we see them more in terms of the legal uh, sources or the legal documents? Well, first of all, you know, I'm, I'm still scanning the horizon of sources. This is um, a very uh, initial stage of my of my project. I'm, I'm looking at um, the Ottoman archives, so the sources of the of the state. I'm looking at some uh, literature of the time, some encyclopedic entries, uh, but um, very interesting are the medical and botanical treaties that you find mentioned, um, mentioning, sorry, and studying the effects and the, um, and the provenance of cannabis, which really gives us an idea, um, which still I need to corroborate, but it, it gives me the idea that the state increases its um, interest in looking at its citizens who are using cannabis as a group of citizens who need to be studied and society needs to be warned about the perils of, of smoking cannabis and becoming a cannabis addict. So we can see the use of cannabis or at least the study of the effects of the use of cannabis in you mentioned the medico-botanical sources that we have. Can you tell us a little bit more about these sources, uh, what they are, who are writing them and, and what the purpose of it is? Yeah, so um, an example would be um, a treatise written um, by someone by the name of uh, Basim Omer. Um, and what I want to kind of deepen a little bit is how much the state was commissioning, if at all commissioning, or why do we see a, um, a growing interest of books published uh, and, and studies done, carried out on um, on the topic of uh, cannabis uh, smoking and addiction. There is definitely, I mean, if you, if you look at some of these sources, you see a, a very kind of thorough study of, uh, first of all, the provenance of the 
of the plant, so botanically where it's from, how it's grown, um, how it's farmed and then um, dried uh, for uh, to give it more potency, and and then this after kind of an introduction of the plant itself, so the botanical part uh, side of the um, of the argument, then we see a thorough discussion of the uh, the side effects of a prolonged use. In terms of the side effects, though, these are treated also in the kind of the more general literature. And the two kind of correspond in their negative uh, view of addicts and of, um, and of the pathology that comes from uh, cannabis addiction. But um, it's, you can also see a difference in the two. So while the literature treats it more as, you know, a morally uh, negative um, habit, um, then in the medical treaties we see a, a, a definite, med, you know, pathological uh, issue treated there. So what happens to uh, your blood flow, what happens to your heartbeat, um, how it affects your mind, um, how you're probably not able to concentrate as, as well anymore. Um, but both both the medical and the literature treaties um, end up um, in the same spot. So either death or, um, um, you know, a complete kind of social, if it's not physical death, it's social death. So is it fair for us to uh, characterize the sources uh, mentioning the consumption and the use of these drugs and the production of these drugs as being led by those who are participating in illicit activities that lead on to not only the moral degeneration of Ottoman society, but also the degeneration of the human body. Yeah, and I think that the, the, the difference that has to be made here, um, it, it kind of ties in well with what we were talking about before. So in the literature, we see that the degeneration is of society. So an addict is a bad moral person. He's a vermin. Um, he's kind of the scum of society. And he could also be a bad influence for, um, you know, the new generation. In the medical treaties, instead, we see more of a kind of emphasis on the degeneration of the body. So what happens medically rather than morally, um, you know, to this, to the people who are, uh, who are can, uh, cannabis addict. What overlaps is kind of the broader um, side effects. So when we're talking about uh, the lack of comprehension or a lack of uh, interest in life or lack of concentration, these are things that are shared by both the literary and the medical treaties. One of the authors of a literary um, treatise on um, on cannabis, uh, Hassan Bakhri, uh, sketches out his own kind of trajectory of the addict, um, and that's the Israr Keshmer Diveni, where he draws um, six kind of usual steps of the addict that starts with the feeling of euphoria that you get from your first um, few pass, puffs of a joint and then uh, ending with um, with death that you bring upon yourself by being an addict in fact you dig um, your own grave with your own uh, with your own hands 
So we have descriptions of the effects of uh, cannabis use and uh, the use of, of drugs in general by, for example, the literary author you mentioned that uh, describes a Esar Keshmar Veniori, a ladder of degeneration of the cannabis user, the Esar Kesh. Uh, you also mentioned that uh, uh, doctors are talking about the uh, the effects, the medical effects of uh, the use of this drug uh, onto the degeneration of the body itself. What does this tell us about the perception of drug users in the Ottoman Empire in terms of the wider society, in terms of uh, the state perception? What does this interest in the effects of cannabis use uh, tell us about uh, the wider Ottoman society and the state in particular? You know, some of this needs to be um, researched further, uh, and I need to corroborate this um Further, but my sense is that some of these medical treaties are used by the state to look at um, a group of citizens as a problematic group, possibly a group that it's not productive, and and this is something that it's uh, you, you know it, it comes it pops up time and again uh, in different uh, aspects of Ottoman society. We find it in, uh, as I was mentioning before, in alcoholics or um, in. Um, people who would get ill by uh, visiting prostitutes and catching specific diseases or homeless people. Uh, you, you know, they, um, they represent a part of society that in the modern state of thing should not exist. So the modern citizen is one that follows the rule, but especially is a productive citizen. He, he, he's not a, um, a parasite of society. And it seems to me, in some respects, cannabis users were looked at, more than cannabis users, cannabis addicts were looked at um, by the state as problematic citizens because of their not production or not being productive. So, you know, while while um, in the literary um, treatise, these people are kind of addressed in, in very negative ways um, because they morally... Kind of rep they, they represent um, moral degeneration and, and for example, people um, refer to them as resorting to um, muharib, devastation and, uh, and perversion and who's through the use of uh, cannabis, then we see um, the state looking at them uh, less as um, negatively labeled, but, but more as um, probably ill uh, people, people with a um, a problem that needs to be dealt with. Is the use and consumption of cannabis and all of the practices that that come with it uh, seen in association with other illicit activities like the consumption of opium, like the consumption of alcohol, uh, or um, other practices like uh, prostitution, or is it seen as a matter of interest onto its own? Do we see sources that are uh, specifically uh, talking about cannabis as an ill, or do we see it bundled up with other um, societal ills? Right. So, in the um, kind of in the general uh, literature of the time, it was linked to um, people in prison uh, and to homosexuality. I have found sources that uh, tell of use, consumption, and smuggling of cannabis in the prison, for example, in Bayolu. Uh, and I think that was a push of kind of a side of society, the moral side of society, to represent, you know, cannabis addicts as 
um, you know, people uh, who succumb to vices uh, 360 degrees. Usually in the same literature, this is linked with um, gambling, with abusing kids, uh, abusing children. Um, so it, I, I'm not too sure that we can um, link it historically to other aspects. Obviously, sometimes these things happened together, but um, it, it doesn't look like to me that if someone was to be a cannabis addict, he would then resort to a lot of other vices or a lot of other um, behavior that are kind of looked at uh, in a negative way by society. We've talked about the users, uh, so the consumers of cannabis, the places of consumption, so the SRH and Ilash. We've talked about the contemporary perceptions of these ehlikeif, these consumers, these people of pleasure. Uh, we've seen that it was de- associated with degeneration of not only the, the body and the soul, but also degeneration of uh, wider society. What are your wider conclusions in terms of its use in the Ottoman Empire? And really, what is your next focus of uh, research and what, what what else needs to be done on this topic or this or these topics in general? So the kind of the conclusions that um, we can um, draw from, from this discussion is that cannabis was fairly widespread. Um, it was used by a number of p- different people, um, so we cannot characterize them in terms of social standing. Um, we cannot characterize them in, in terms of their religious background or ethnic background. Uh, and this was really a habit um, that, um, in a way, increased sociability um, and, and um, put people together uh, regardless of, of um, these supposed barriers. Now, what's, what I think is, um, is crucial here is to understand how the state um, reacts to them. And it seems to me that there is a reaction... Um, of a state that looks at them as a block, a specific part of citizenship that needs to be studied, possibly uh, helped, um, and the state needs to uh, warn others of the perils and the dangers of becoming a, a drug addict, and in this case, a cannabis addict. There is a large amount of work to be done Um and uh, as I said, I've, I've just started. I want to look more closely at the relationship between the state and the consumers. Then there's the legal aspects that needs to be uh, looked at. There is a, a very large amount of poetry that I haven't approached yet that will have to be uh, definitely looked at because it tells us much more about who um, was consuming, uh, where, and also how this was seen by the the um, the poets and therefore kind of the the representative of the of 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 the general society. Another interesting part to look at is the the names. Why specific names were given to the venues where Esrar um, was consumed? So we've mentioned them as Esrar uh, Hane or Hashish Hane, but they were sometimes referred to as Teke. So why were they linked to um, Sufi? Lodges. Uh, what was the link between it was just because um, it supposedly some of the some some of the Sufi sects were consuming it, or uh, was there more to that? 
I'm afraid we've come to the end of our time uh, discussing this this fascinating topic, uh, Stefano. Thank you very much for uh, what has been a very stimulating uh, topic of discussion today. Thank you for having me. It was a great pleasure. You can find out more about the topic discussed today on the Ottoman History Podcast website. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook uh, and join our community of over 32,000 followers. My name is Tylan Gingersh. Many thanks for listening. Fertamuena cigarra, ki putorektika.